Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Welcome to Upfront. I'm Chloe Morgan. And I'm Rachel O'Sullivan. We've had our first managerial casualty of the season. I think we all thought it might be Everton because they had so many last year. But it's not. It's Hope Powell. She's left Brighton after more than five years in the dugout. We look over how it's got to this point and what the Seagulls can expect going forward. Elsewhere, it's been yet another good week for Arsenal, but a record-breaking WSL win against West Ham still can't keep Jonas Eidevall happy. God, I mean, how can you not be happy? You've had such a good run. It was the goal they conceded. Do you reckon? That one goal. And we look ahead to a massive one this weekend as Man United take on Chelsea. Joining us today and truly cementing their friend of upfront status. We've given you a badge, we've given you passes, we've given you lifts and all sorts. It is journalist and broadcaster Jesse Parker Humphrey. <laughs> back in the building, back in person. Lovely to have you finally in the studio with us again. Yeah, thanks for having me back. I think this means that I was a good enough car guest with Rachel on Sunday that I could get the, the call up. So. I can agree. Rachel? I did have to feedback. Um, to the rest of the group before we'd added you to the WhatsApp group and I can confirm that we uh, agreed to have you back because yeah. you were a good car guest good DJ okay um, what were the tunes what were the tunes saying well we had this <laughs> great conversation of if you could listen to like had to listen to just one song for the rest of your life what would it be um, and there was yeah four of us in the car so we every single day choices. was it if you got to listen to it every yeah. single day yes. it's the like, only, and the only song like you never listen to another song again alright yeah. Jesse, what, what, what were your thoughts I went with Taylor Swift's All Too Well 10 minute version because I thought pick a long song 10 well. minutes every day if you add that up that's like about a year of your life wasted lost yeah but it's the only gone. song I can listen to so Ten I minutes. want to like enjoy it for yeah. a long period of time makes sense she thought about it yeah bloody hell alright Rach what's yours Sweet Disposition oh that's um that's very old school. That's mm. a little bit left field, that. Wasn't That's expecting what I said. That. I That's, thought it was um, a rogue choice, but it's got a really lovely story. So oh, <laughs> then oh, I felt rude. I didn't realise there was a story behind it. I just like the kind of like, sweet. So good. Ding, 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 yeah, gorgeous. Yeah. That reminds me of my uni days. Yeah. Like 25 years ago, whenever it was. Uh, but I mean, I mean, suppose in the car, you must have heard the big news. I mean, did you have the radio on at any point? Because the big news is Jill bloody Scott. 
Jill bloody Scott's going into the bloody jungle, isn't she? With Matt Hancock. <laughs> what? The duo we never knew. No, wait, no, we don't. We don't need that duo, do we? Nobody needs um, him in any kind of duo. But Jill, yay. What on earth? I mean, massive for her. I feel like, I mean, Jill Scott's a massive personality, isn't she? And I oh, think be great. this is going to explode her into all kinds of massive celebrity status, more than she even has at the moment. But I mean, I don't know how she's going to fare with Matt Hancock. I don't know how any of them are going to fare with Matt Hancock. He's probably I mean, the biggest um, scary thing that's going to be in the jungle, isn't he? <laughs> True story. <laughs> the love main that. thing you want to keep away from. I just feel sorry for <laughs> Shelley Unit having to look after that cafe for the whole time Jill's away. <laughs> oh <my> God, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it'd probably be an easier job to look after the cafe than it will be to like, be buried under a, a box of spiders or thrown yeah. out of a plane or deal with Matt Hancock talking to you on a daily basis. So I know where I'd rather be, box to box or, yeah, with Matt Hancock. <laughs> Jesus Christ, and that's a sentence I never thought I'd have to say, but here we are. Um, I mean, I mean, another big story, big breaking news from up front, always here delivering it ASAP to you. Uh, Hope Powell, she is our first casualty. I mean, long-standing legend of the game, been here, there and everywhere, obviously massive career with England and then stepping into uh, the Brighton management job in 2017. I mean, when you kind of look at her run, past three seasons, she uh, got them to ninth uh, and then ninth again and then finally sixth, which is the best that, that Brighton have ever done in the WSL. But obviously suffered a massive defeat this weekend uh, against Spurs. I don't think anyone thought it was going to be an 8 niller. Uh, I think Spurs thought it was going to be 8 <laughs> That kind of came out of the blue a bit and we'll discuss that in a second. But I mean, you know, six, 116 games in charge. Uh, apparently she's won over 40% of those games. So when you kind of look at the collective stats of Hope Powell at Brighton she's overseen the investment as well um, it, it's not, it doesn't feel like a bad run but obviously that game was I think that was uh, that was the punch bag wasn't it yeah I think look she is we all know she's a legend of the game and I think she did a huge amount at Brighton both on and off the pitch um, I think in previous seasons there were times they could have done better maybe in terms of results you know they they beat Chelsea for example sorry Jesse you know they were the team every to, bloody time yeah, uh, <laughs> they were the team to break Chelsea's unbeaten run of like 31 games or something like that but then they would go and lose to teams below them so I think they never really developed any consistency which is probably the most frustrating thing um, because there were flashes of some really really good football and they did you know decent quality squad last season the season before not the squad's bad now but they have lost quite a few key players this season and that was probably I'd say the tipping point. I did think at the start of the season they were going to struggle. I just don't feel like, given the number of players that have left, they have recruited well enough. And I know we've talked a lot about the great investment at Brighton. Like we can't deny that there's huge investment there. I think it was they've they've built like an eight point five million pound training facility um, for the squad, which is amazing. But building a training facility in twenty nineteen isn't gonna you know, create this title winning team in two three years. Do you know what I mean? You need to see that kind of investment on the pitch. And I think. Hopal did touch on that, didn't she, about her frustrations around recruitment. So sad to see her go, but I still think, you know, a big plus on on her managerial CV. I think also sometimes it's just okay to say that things can run their course, right? You know, she was the third longest serving manager behind Kelly Chambers and Emma Hayes. She's been there for a really long time. And occasionally you you just get to a point, right, where you've done what you can and you feel like, you know, you've you've run its course with with that squad, with the club. And it doesn't necessarily have to be like this big, sad thing. And I think something that really stood out to me in her statement was about, you know, kind of 
not quitting while she was ahead because she just lost eight nil to the Spurs. <laughs> but there being a lot of WSL football still to go and for whoever came in to to be able to turn it around and, and get a good run at the rest of the season. And I think that kind of speaks to a a good relationship still there, even with a recognition that that maybe, you know, obviously for now it's over. And all the players that came out. Yeah. A lot, a lot of great positive support from the players saying that she's been a legend to them, um, obviously taking the club from strength to strength. And, you know, Hope Powell saying, you know, as a club, we've made a lot of progress in the past five years, but I feel now is the right time to step aside and allow a new coach to take the team forward with plenty of Super League football still to play this season. Um, I think for me, it's, uh, it's a difficult one because obviously she stepped away from the role. She wasn't kicked out because of the 8-0 defeat, which is nice. So it kind of feels like it was her decision I feel Brighton have had a very challenging start to this season. Uh, they've not had, you know, some sort of easier games to kind of ease themselves in. And they've come off the back of not a bad season last year. I mean, finishing sixth in the WSL with all the, all, all the incredible talent that was going on last year was incredible. So them coming into this side, yes, they've faced Man United, Arsenal, Chelsea in the first five games. Only the one narrow win against Reading in September. But I still feel because it's the start of the season, there should have been a, a, at least until December for her to just ride out this rough patch, see what the next kind of run of games would have delivered and then kind of made a call on it. But it sounds like it was made personally by her. So it's not a case of her, you know, being forced to step aside. It, it kind of felt like the right time. So it'd be interesting to see now what she moves on to. Do we think there's going to be a, a Hope Pal still in the WSL or do we think there's going to be a... In some format, yeah, I'd like to think so. Whether it's a director role or wherever that might be, she's got so much knowledge and talent in the women's game. Like you absolutely have to keep her in it. So... Yeah, I'd like to think so. I, I was going to touch on what you were saying there. Like, it would have been so disappointing had she been kicked out or, yeah. or, or sacked because, like, as I touched on, investing in the way they have, you can't expect quick results. Your yeah. ambitions have to be, that's to be longevity in your ambitions if you're going with a invest in facilities type approach and have young players coming up through that way. You can't then turn around and expect to be finishing top table every season. So I'm glad it was a personal choice. Um, and yeah, I very much hope that she's staying in the game. How long do you think is enough time to kind of give things when, say you've got the investment coming in a couple of years ago, how long do you think and what kind of results should you expect to be seeing really in the, in the next year, two years or so from Brighton? Do we think they are going to be contenders for the Champions League spots in, in years to come or do we think they're going to be sitting mid-table for a while? For me, you have to start investing on the pitch as well. Mm-hmm. And I think next season, I think seeing how they recruit will tell us a lot. Um, they have that facility now, which is great. And it means that the players they do have now are getting, you know, regular training in top class facilities, which is brilliant, which is what you need. And it does take a couple of years for, I mean, you're you're the ex-player, you can tell us. It does, it takes a while, I guess, for you to get used to that kind of level of training and, and facilities available to you. But there has to be good recruitment on the pitch to really show ambition. Okay, and uh, to take them forward then, obviously they're going to have a bit of a, they've had a tough start to the season, now their manager's gone, who do we think is going to be taking the the job? Who do we think is going to step in and start saving, saving Brighton's arse from the relegation zone? It's an intriguing one, isn't it? Because they're an interesting team in that, as we've said, there's obviously the investment there, but the squad isn't amazing. I do think they've got some really exciting younger players, Katie Robinson, Elizabeth Turland, even having Georgia Fox on loan for, from Chelsea. But some of the names that have kind of come out, you know, your Willie Kirks or your Mark Parsons, it still feels like it would maybe be a step below their level. So I think it goes with what do we expect, you know, a Brighton to do? Because when you look at the teams at the very top, City, United, Chelsea, Arsenal, even Spurs, they're all clearly much bigger clubs. Is it actually realistic to think Brighton 
are ever going to compete with them. Can I throw a rogue suggestion? We love rogue suggestions. I think Juan Carlos Amaros has left Houston Dash. He has announced I yesterday. I think he's going to Gotham. Damn! I thought, oh. I, I, thought I was getting a really good like rogue insider news. <laughs> good, Jesse. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah that I, story. I would agree. Willie Kirk, Mark Parsons. It could be, but it could be a way back into the WSL for Willie Kirk. It could be, you know, an opportunity for him to show what he can do and hopefully be given a bit more time to show what he can do. Um, but I think, yeah, Willie Kirk, Mark Parsons aren't bad shouts. All right, we'll wait and see. I mean, we're probably going to get some kind of announcement in the next couple of couple probably, of weeks. It's probably already happened now by the time. All that, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, to be fair, I mean, Hope must have been having these discussions maybe in advance anyway. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised if someone's going to be announced very soon. Um, right, we've got to touch on the trigger point for Hope Powell's departure. Uh, Spurs v Brighton this weekend. I don't even know where to start with this game because 8-0 is not what anyone was really expecting here. And I mean, credit to Spurs. They absolutely ran riot. Um, Bar trip, uh, the Walsh mistake. Neville was just on fire. Has been for quite a while now. I mean, Rach, you're a big Neville fan. I heard you got some pretty hot takes on, on Neville and where she should be going. Well, for me, I just, I think there's a really weird split in opinion about Ashley Neville um, for some reason. Um, it, like I think she should at least be getting a call up for England at least a chance because I think if any other player um, in you know one of the top four clubs maybe was putting in the performances she was putting in people would be calling for her to um, to get a chance and I think I looked at um, uh, some stats in terms of her versus other defenders in the league she's in the 97th percentile for tackles 99th percentile for interceptions 96th percentile for blocks 99th percentile for clearances and she's been playing kind of a bit of a midfieldish role, playing a little bit higher up the pitch again mm. in the 90s for a lot of those things. And I just think there is there is this weird, like, some people just refuse to accept that Ashley Neville's playing really bloody well. <laughs> I don't know why. I just the think, haters. isn't there a problem, though, with how Spurs play versus how England want to play? And do you think, like, I just don't know if... I love that Ashley Neville is having a great season for Spurs and that she's become kind of this figurehead for them right but I just think in the way they build up and they move they move the ball compared to the way in England would I just don't know if that's where her level is whether because I think style you know you've got to consider style of play yeah bring her into a training camp then and see and if it doesn't work it doesn't work but I think she deserves the chance I mean you've got players playing completely different positions for club versus country that's, you know, they're playing a different style of football. Rachel Daly is playing up front for Aston Villa and banging in the goals, but comes to England and plays fullback. So I think it's, it, if I think it warrants a shout. Bring her to a camp. If she doesn't play, fine. But I think, you know, that what she's doing, I don't know what more she would need to do to get that. That's I agree. All I'd say. I mean, I've played with Neville for, I was about three or four years with Spurs and the difference in the player that she was back then to where she is Massive. now is absolutely huge like for not like significant I think when we played together she was a good player and I didn't realize that this was the trajectory that her career would be taking but I've got to agree I think she definitely deserves that call up and I think that is part of being a, a good player is that you adapt and you're versatile do different styles of play because even in when you're with your own squad you've got to adapt to different setups different formations depending on you know who you're playing but you know for her to get the call up to England I think could you know I think it could be huge for her I think it could be a massive confidence boost and I think it's it's well deserved to even the camp, at least. At least a camp. Go on. Oh, at least a camp. Bring her in and say, right, it doesn't work. It doesn't suit the style of football or maybe she's not at the level we thought she was. Fine. But I think when you're looking at what she's doing, I just think it warrants some sort of 
it, she's worthy of it, in my opinion. And I'm sure I'll get told off on social media, but I stand by it. Of course you will. I mean, that's we, we don't do... It will be me. I'll be atting you. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm going to no, mute you. We can't have this. We can't have beef. No longer a friend team. on the other <laughs> Badge removed. No more car trips. No more, like, lovely little discussions about what your favourite song is or whatever. That's all gone. Well done. <laughs> Um, I mean, Spurs' performance, obviously huge for them. Uh, I've got to just touch on the fact that Gracie Pierce was making her debut as well for the squad. I've played with Gracie Pierce and I absolutely love her. She's so bloody adorable. And she was just, I just thought that was a really big moment for her. So congratulations to her as well. Uh, obviously, Jess Naz coming back in from a long-term injury, making a, a really big impact uh, with the squad, getting a couple of goals there herself. Um, I think with you know Spurs and the trajectory that they're kind of taking, I mean, we touched briefly on them being Champions League contenders. Does this kind of really set the bar for them, you know, really pushing on and, and, and sort of being in that position. Do you, I mean, I know it's early days. I know it's early days. You're going to say it's way too early to call and you're both chomping at the bit to get in with a comment here. And I think I'm going to throw to Jesse. I was going to say, should we do it at the same time? Three, one, two, two one. Three. No. no. <laughs> wow. <laughs> we went up. <laughs> wow. Kind of on sync. <laughs> so we don't think Champions League spots for Spurs. Not this season. Not this season, despite that absolutely massive destruction of Brighton. Jesse, why? Come on. I Justify just yourself. Brighton were agents of their own downfall here. And listen, I think it will be a big confidence boost for Spurs. Mm-hmm. And it's great, obviously, for players to be getting on the score sheet and, you know, whether it's Drew Spence, Jess Naz. But I've never doubted that these Spurs players can score goals. They are good finishers. You know, they've signed a very exciting striker in Nikola Karzuska. But it's just too often with this Spurs team they don't get themselves into positions where they have those opportunities. And in this game, I feel like Brighton gave them those, but I didn't think Spurs were really creating them themselves because that Brighton defence was just so disorganised. You had Victoria Williams just like charging around, trying to put out a tiny fire on every bit. (laughs) Not literally. Crawley's ground is like that sometimes, but not literally. But, you know, she was trying to plug so many gaps because... There was just so much disorganisation and, you know, we've seen Brighton switch from kind of this like back three to back four. There's lots of things to fix there. And also when Megan Walsh is having a howler. Oh, gosh, yeah. The way, you know, I I really like Megan Walsh. I think she's a a great goalkeeper, but this was not her day at all. So someone tweeted us and basically said she's like one of the worst goalkeepers in the league. And I refuse to accept that. She had a howler of a day, but she has been one of Brighton's best players for many seasons now. She's been standout and she doesn't get the credit she deserved. But yeah, she had a howler and it happens. Mm -hmm. We've um, all been there. We've all been there, Meg. (laughs) Uh, No, I look, I just want to get ahead of ourselves. Okay, I just don't think they've looked great in their first few games. Um, Played Liverpool. um, They played uh, Leicester. Um, like they just they've scored I think they scored three goals in their their first kind of three four games I mean unbelievable that they scored eight against Brighton but as you said I think that was a third of their total from last season yeah. mm. um, so I wouldn't kind of get ahead of ourselves too much okay um, just purely because I don't feel like there's been a lot of and I know bang on about consistency a lot but I just don't feel like there has been and there's matches where you're like yeah, like against Liverpool, first half, I was like, yeah, they could get in and score loads of goals. They didn't. Um, and then there'll be other games where you're like, I just don't see where the goals are going to come from. So it's just that kind of style of play that I think they're still figuring out. And, and it's understandable. They've had key injuries. You know, they're missing Kaya Simon. Kit Graham's not back yet. Like, there are still some key players that will help bolster the squad. But I don't think they're quite there yet. And more to do with the fact that there's teams above them that I just think... Mm-hmm. 
will finish above them that are better. Well, they only narrowly missed out on the spot last year. I think I really want to see the game Spurs, Man United, because I feel like that that seems to be like the Champions League battle for me. I mean, I know I did obviously say that Man United were going to win the league this year, but that, that, that could happen. But I think for me, Spurs have all the makings and all the factors for a Champions League spot. I mean, the infrastructure, the signings that they've had. I mean, this is a squad that, you know, when I first started with them, we were playing at, um, bloody, what's it called? Barnet. Yes, the Hive. The Hive. It was, I mean, it's just, uh, it was a shit show of a pitch, let's be honest. Um, in the arse end of nowhere, we were kind of, every every week, we didn't know whether we were going to play because the pitch was absolutely shocking. We were struggling with gym facilities. And now you look at sort of like the training facilities that the squad have, the promo around them, they're going on international tour, they're getting all these big names involved. Rianne Skinner coming in and making everything gel together nicely. I think... It has the factions, the, the factors are all there. So I think maybe if not this year, I definitely think next year. But that also depends on the form of, you know, the top four. Yeah, because I'm not, four. I'm not sure there will be a battle with Spurs for Champions League yet. I think Man City will be yeah. above them. I think and they're the in other, the, the kind of best. There's the top four, and then there's the best of the rest yeah. race. And I think you know, I know Villa, West Ham, like they've looked patchy as well, but I think they're both teams that will challenge Spurs throughout the season, Everton even. So I think the w- that it just speaks to the depth in the WSL now that there is four really good teams and then I think, you know, three or four quite good teams and then four not so good teams. But like it's all quite even. But I agree with you, Chloe, in that they have the makings of. Yeah. And I think last season showed that they can capitalise in areas, you know, there was a bit of luck involved, but I think that's something definitely something to build on um, but like we talked on last season I think they overachieved a little bit so I think it will just take a couple of seasons for them to be properly challenging for that Champions League spot okay not this year then Spurs next year it is Rachel's called it <laughs> or maybe the year after <laughs> putting my flagpole in the set <laughs> this is Paige the co-host of Giggly Squad and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive and June Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box and if you break it down it really comes out to two dollars a manicure which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at uh1.com. 
All right, another strong Arsenal week. I mean, they're just going from strength to strength, aren't they? Uh, a big win from them, uh, 3-1 against West Ham. They did concede their first goal of the season, so disappointing, really, if you can call that disappointing after... You can if you see the goal. It was an amazing goal to concede. <laughs> it was a... Funniest moment of the weekend. It was a bit of a... type moment, wasn't it? Shall we explain it? Steph Cartley with one of the weirdest passbacks. She tried to go wide of Zinsberger, so like put it out right. Zinsberger was on her left foot, so completely didn't see the trajectory of the back pass. The back pass hit the post, came flying back out. Um, Zinsberger kind of missed it. Dagny Brynjer's daughter and Steph Catley were in a foot race to get back to the ball, which seemed to have bounced towards the line. And Brynjer's daughter then like slid in <laughs> to score the goal. And that music that you were just humming was playing the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not great for them. If you're going to concede a goal, definitely don't do it like that. But credit to them. It is their 13th WSL win on the bounce. Huge. Uh, I mean, they've started the season very strong, haven't they? I mean, despite that, Jonas is still having a bit of a kickoff, but we'll touch off on that in a little bit. Um, guys, what did you think of the game? How did you think it went? Because I thought West Ham looked very lively in those opening minutes. A couple of very early chances. Um, not too much for Zinsberger to do. Um, but yeah, I thought it was um, it was a good showing from West Ham. I didn't think that was um, poor from them. Yeah, I think West Ham always turn up against Arsenal. You know, got that Derby spice to it. Um and they looked really good in the first half, as West Ham often do. Mm. Uh, they they looked great in the first half and then they tail off in the second. Um, I still felt like Arsenal edged it in the first half, but they haven't been taking their chances maybe as well as they should be. They did create quite a few, but, you know, wide, saved, over the bar. I think Katie McCabe took out some poor guy's tea with uh, a very, <laughs> yeah. very strong effort. Um, so for me, there's still a little bit of tightening for Arsenal to do. They still look a little bit loose at times. Um but I still think credit to West Ham, that first half performance, and they're very unlucky not to have gotten, not to be 2-0 up. Um, Dagny Brynjer's daughter, who's been so impressive this season, uh, had a goal disallowed for an apparent foul on Kim Little, which I think just because she's tall and long and Kim Little's small, the ref... Do you know what? Some, it was summed I think up it was Caitlin Ford's foul on Kim Little, yeah. wasn't it, basically? But what summed it up for me was on the women's football show, the, the guys who were kind of looking back over it said... On first look, yeah, it looked like a foul. But once you see the replay, you realise that, you know, it wasn't a foul. And it's like, well, the ref has that first look, doesn't mm-hmm. she? And I think when you've got the height of, of Brynjers out here and the maybe uh, height lacking of Kim Little um, and limbs, it just maybe looked like a foul on first, but it was not. It was not a foul. It should have been a goal for um, Dagny and they would have been, they would have potentially gone 2 nil up then in the first half. But, maybe um, that's why the football gods made Steph Catley do that pass. It yeah. was like <laughs> in revenge <laughs> for the injustice of it all. But yeah, I thought West Ham looked really good and I want to shout out their goalkeeper, Sophie Hilliard, who was making her full WSL debut and I thought had a really, I mean, she conceded three goals, but I thought had a really good game and didn't look phased at all because I was worried for them that Mackenzie Arnold was going to be a big big loss mm-hmm. um, but she just came into the game really well but yeah I thought Arsenal looked sluggish and actually Kim Little did go off with an injury and it wasn't until Jordan Nobbs came on to replace her I think it was almost fortunate for Arsenal that yeah she just gave this massive burst of energy obviously she scores within like two minutes of coming Second on touch and that goal my god I mean there's no chance keepers out no she chance she was so excited she didn't know how to celebrate yeah. well. just, her arms were just like moving absolute rocket I mean yeah the keeper had absolutely no chance went for a ton of bodies it was exactly what Arsenal needed and 
you know, credit to them. You've gone a goal down in a really sort of uh, silly manner. And then by what, the 52nd, 53rd minute, they'd already turned it around to 2-1, um, which is a scoreline that was, I think we're sort of more familiar with, with, with Arsenal-West Ham. But um, no, I thought the chance creation was fantastic. Uh, you've got Blackstinius, uh, McCabe involved in there, um, sort of whipping balls in for, for Manham. And we've got to touch also on the fact that you know, Miedemar not starting again. Um, and it makes it a difficult argument to say Miedemar should be starting when Manham just keeps on scoring the goals. Because mm, Miedemar played the Champions League match um, wrapped up like she'd been in all sorts of bother. She had a bandage on one hand, a bandage on the other. I think the thighs <laughs> were wrapped and then she got punched in the face as well at one point. <laughs> so Halloween vibes yeah. already. But like, she looked like she should have come off at about 70 minutes. She looked absolutely knackered and she didn't. She was she was kept on and... Um, so I'm not actually surprised she didn't start because she looked really, really tired in that Champions League game. But Manum, Manum was there. Manum was scoring again. Um, it's great to see. It's it's depth. And, you know, it's that depth we will talk on a little bit later following Jonas Eideveld's comments. Um, but it's a big, big strength for Arsenal this season. Do you think that's going to be a kind of thing going forward? Do you think Miedemar's going to struggle to get back into the squad? Do we think Manum's going to com- continue to start? I mean, on the, on the form that she's had, it's going to be hard to get a shirt back. I think it's quite hard to judge because I do think broadly, like Rachel just said, it is a good thing for Arsenal that they don't have to play Miedema, especially when, you know, if she has got an injury or she's had a little bit of concussion or anything like that from previous games. And in the past, it feels like, you know, we've seen Miedema really push to her limits, both with Arsenal and with her national team. I guess the question is, is in, in the long term, is this just a rotation thing? Is it a depth thing? Or, you know, is it moving on time? But for me, I would be looking at not Miedemar replacing Marnham, but replacing Blackstenius mm-hmm. because I just still think that, I don't think that Blackstenius, I know she scored here, but I still don't think she's really managed to set this team alight in the way that Viviana Miedemar was doing a couple of seasons ago. And I think to have Viv at top and then Frieda Marnham in behind that could be a really exciting thing for Arsenal. Blackstenius did say that when she came to the WSL, she realised she had to get so much quicker. Her first touch had to be so much better and she had to be so much quicker with it because um, that's that was like the first thing she noticed when she arrived. And I, that's what I noticed with her is that it's just taken her a little bit of time to find her first touch um, and to be a bit more uh, effective in the box because mm-hmm. she does get the chances. Um, I think it's coming. And I think maybe having, uh, whether the pressure of Miedema on the bench is helpful or not, I don't know. <laughs> but at least, look, for Arsenal, you've always got Miedema. So, yeah, it's not a bad problem to have. I mean, you both touched there on the rotation side of things. And I think um, Jonas Eideville, despite his squad doing so well this season, has still found something to kind of miff off about, or mild complaint, should we call it? And we were kind of taking the mick uh, before the podcast started about... Jonas just wanting to say some things for saying some things sake, perhaps. Um, But he's basically called for bigger domestic squads to help clubs compete in lots of competitions. So his view is with a tight playing schedule, I really think we should have bigger squads, but we should have the ability uh, and the availability to have all those players involved in exactly the same way in the Champions League as we have in domestic competition. So as it stands, currently teams can name a squad of 23 for a Champions League game, but only a squad of 20 for the WSL. Um, I mean, I can kind of get where he's coming from, but I kind of think that the uh, the point would be a little bit better had Arsenal not had an incredible run of form and also benefited from the squad rotation that they have on, on their bench. And otherwise, it's not like they're coming from loss after loss because they're, you know, struggling to 
to find players or they've just got a lack of squad depth there. So yeah, if we were, if it was like three three seasons ago when Arsenal had about like fourteen players fit that they could name on a squad list. I get where he's coming from. But the one thing we've been saying about Arsenal this season is their depth. And mm. that doesn't seem like a massive issue for me. Like, he says, you know, maybe the extra three players for the WSL would impact his recruitment a bit, knowing he'd have a player for every position on the bench. But I'm still, I don't think that's what's stopping England from, English teams from progressing in the Champions League. For me, like, it almost makes it sound like he's going into a game and doesn't know who he's going to bring on as substitutes. Just like an but, mini but you, but you do know, you know this. Like the plan, I know you've got a plan for every occasion, and you don't know what the other team's going to do. But you're going to have some sort of an idea of who's going to be ready on the bench to come on. And for me, there's it. It would be kind of a, you know, an injury or something that would make you go, okay, we're going to have to change our approach to this game entirely. And because we haven't had 23 players in the squad, I now don't have a substitute for this particular position or whatever. But I just this the circumstance where that happens is just seems like very unlikely. Well, and it just doesn't make sense. Chelsea and City have 23-player squads. Arsenal have a 21-player squad. They've also got two players out on loan in Anna Patton and Gio Chiaros. They mm-hmm. could have kept them at Arsenal. And to me, this just seems to be saying that Jonas Eideval can't convince players that just because they won't be on the bench necessarily every week in the WSL that they can't come to Arsenal. But as soon as you get a couple of injuries... Rafaeli and Leah Williamson at the moment won't be on Arsenal's bench. So you would be able to put all those players on if you chose to have the fuller squad. Equally, yeah, you make five substitutions across a game and you've got nine to 12 players on your bench, say. You know some of those players aren't going to be coming on. Does it really matter if some of them are in the stands? You know, if Chelsea have Alsu Abdelina on their bench, I don't often think she's coming on in a WSL game because that's where she stands within the squad. And sometimes, if, say, Marimielda's fit, she's in the stands. That's just how that that's just another form of rotation, right? It's the same way you've got to keep players happy who aren't in your starting eleven. You also maybe have to work with players who are those more squad players. And I don't see why having two extra substitutes in the WSL is suddenly going to make that so much easier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jonas. All right, <laughs> <laughs> that's told you. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I couldn't have... That was delivered with such force and passion. <laughs> I've always cared so much about squad depth in the WSL. He, he did speak about, though, um, you know, European rivals getting the weekend off, whatever, like when playing champion, Champions League games. And, like, I get that from, like, WSL perspective. If they're playing a game on a Thursday, maybe don't give them the Saturday fixture. Give mm-hmm. them, like, the late Sunday fixture. Like, I can understand maybe doing that kind of thing around fixture scheduling and we've often complained about WSL fixture scheduling it often can be a bit chaotic and I think sometimes that's to do with the fact that maybe pitches aren't up to quality so we might have more postponements than we expected or you know in the in the women's league we don't play across Christmas because you know players aren't being paid enough to bring their family and loved ones over so they have they go home at Christmas they need some sort of of break at Christmas so that maybe adds to the scheduling congestion but I think if we manage the last two seasons with Covid and terrible weather and all of the 900 games that have to be played in such a short space of time I think we can manage now this season. Well and also again you look at Spain they've got a league with about a gazillion teams in it so Barcelona and Real Madrid could turn around and say well England have it easy because the WSL they're only playing 22 times across the season and we play about 50 or 60 times they've basically got a baseball league over there. A moot point. Yeah Jonas part two. Gosh (laughs) all right. (laughs) 
<laughs> I kind of, I mean, the only thing that I do think there's some validity in what he's saying, I think, is more the fixture side of things and the squad, the uh, the amount of people that can be involved in the squad because it is really difficult, especially when you've got, and even from kind of my perspective, you know, Conti Cup and then the WSL games, it does affect your prep, especially if you've got away games as well, like the time difference, um, you know, getting yourself adjusted, it does kind of open up the situation where you can be more susceptible to injuries and things like that so and obviously he did touch on the fact that he felt that maybe a factor in Leah Williamson's injury has been uh, the overscheduling of games so I do think there needs to be more equality of arms I think if you're going into a European competition at that kind of level you do need to make sure that all the teams are kind of on equal footing so but and I think the FA has been they've not been great really with scheduling games and yeah. things around competition. So I I can fully understand. Maybe that he point. has a slight point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah let's but not go too far. Oh, what I, what I would say about Leah Williamson is that it's probably the fact that she went to Team GB in twenty twenty one, then she came back and did a season, and then she went straight to the Euros in twenty twenty two, and then she came back and did a season. I think that's probably got a lot to do with you know, the injuries that players are picking up as opposed to specifically this season's scheduling issues. I think it's an awful lot more to do with the amount of football she's been playing. Okay. So we kind of think Jonas has a, has a mild point, but do, also Jonas stopped making Do you know what? Like, and like I, that. we'll have, you have people saying, well, look, we've got teams that, you know, aren't getting paid the, the, the money that these teams are getting paid and don't have the same kind of travel facilities and all that kind of stuff to get to games. And I fully agree with that but at the same time it doesn't mean we can't ask for things to be better at the top like we we can still ask for things to improve because that then does help other clubs and other teams as well so just because they have depth and just because they have a big budget doesn't mean we can't then push for better what a lovely night to end that conversation on beautiful positive well, we have got to preview the Chelsea-Man United game this weekend. I feel like it's one of those games that we've kind of all been waiting for. Uh, me especially, because obviously I don't know whether I've said this before in all the podcasts that we've had, but um, Man United are big contenders, I think, for the title this year. Do yeah, so? I think so. Uh, Chelsea, such a unique point of view that I haven't heard from you. Chelsea <laughs> might have a look in, I suppose, at the title, but we'll wait and see. We'll wait and see what happens this uh, this Sunday. But um yeah, just for the 11 goals uh, for Chelsea this week. Uh, obviously had a great run in the Champions League win against Vlasnia, 8-0. And then on to beat Aston Villa, 3-1 on Sunday. Uh, I mean, Lauren James back in the squad, doing bits. I mean, what on earth? I mean, this kid who's kind of been out, he's had a bit of a bad run, coming from Man United, out with injury, been doing her rehab, plugging away. And now all of a sudden she comes in like a bloody firework, explosions I mean talk to me because watching her is such a bloody delight I'm just glad to see product at the end of it that's what I'm so pleased mm. about because there's so much hype around Lauren James and I get it but I also think we need to give the kid a break a little bit because you know there's so much every time she touches the ball people are like oh my god Lauren James and you're like that's me that's <laughs> yeah, literally that's I know. Me <laughs> but for me initially because she scored her first two goals um, this weekend and they were brilliant but for me there was there was a lot of Blair with not very much end product or shot creation or whatever. Now we're seeing it and I'm very, very pleased to see it. And I think the way they're managing her at the moment seems to be working really well. You know, we didn't really see her in Champions League, but that doesn't kind of mean that she comes on and she's rusty. Mm -hmm. If anything, it's the opposite. She comes on and she's bloody incredible. Um, so that's brilliant. And I'm, I'm hoping the way they manage her this season and the way Chelsea managed their, their firepower um, will hopefully be to her advantage. But... 
Um, yeah, I think I think the Vlasnia game will really help them, especially your your Pinilla Hardas and your Sam Kerr's. I think Sam Kerr needed that, and that has just lit a fire. And I I think, you know, other teams should be worried now that she's gone and scored four goals in the Champions League match, and behind her Pinilla Harder scoring three. Like <laughs> and now are open. and now Lauren James has just scored her first two. Um, it it was it's a very good week for Chelsea just to kind of they've had a lot of games, and I think for the team's mentality, um, I think it's great. And I've got to touch also on, I mean, James obviously a bit of a star of the show at the moment, but Wrighton, I think, you know, that Vlasnia game, my God, I've never seen whips in like it. And it was, it was just the consistency on delivering those balls in, looking up, finding the player. Like the, they weren't just balls that were whipped in and thinking, oh, someone's going to get on the end of it. These were pinpoint precision passes over and over again. That Vlasnia game was an absolute, it was a gold standard they should put that on the FA website as like how to deliver a whipped ball because it was just <laughs> golden. And they're horrible for keepers as well because they're kind of, they're curving in, but they're curving away from you as well. And it's just a horrible little cutback. But yeah, absolute touch from, from Wright. And I thought she was absolutely lethal. Um, yeah, eight assists in eight games for Gura Wright. Just eight, just the eight. <laughs> just ridiculous. Oh. She has, she's really carried this Chelsea team through through the start of the season. But I think now we are really starting to see this attack come together. And I think, you know, obviously... Vlatsnia aren't going to be winning the Champions League anytime soon. Whoa, that's a big take. You're <laughs> hot, right about that one. take All right. right here. But some of that attacking play in that game, some of the attacking play against Villa just felt like Chelsea are really finding those relationships among those players because they have shifted formations. There are new players coming in. You know, I know Lauren James was there last season, but she wasn't playing. Panila Harder's been in and out. Frank Kirby's been in and out. But it feels like this is starting to be a, a team rather than in those first couple of games, it felt like we were really relying as a club on just individual moments from very talented players. And we've also just seen the comeback of Emma Hayes back in the stands, watching the squad for the first time um, since her immensely operation a couple of weeks back. And um, I think that's got to do things for the players as well. Sort of, you know, since she's been gone, uh, obviously Denise... Since you've been gone. Thank you for that. That's lovely. Thanks for my little improv <laughs> Is number. that what you'd listen to for the rest of your yeah. life, Chloe? I can't breathe. This is where Rachel's Chloe sings. That would be the <laughs> saddest when thing I leave, to to every day. Leave the studio, she's like, I can breathe for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> it might be now. But since she's come back, uh, I mean, Emma Hayes, absolutely incredible. Back in the stands. Congratulations, Emma, coming back to your squad, who have been amazing in winning every game since her departure. So I think that's only going to bolster things going forward. Um, but if we obviously touch now on one of my favorite Man United uh, just come off a 3-0 win over Everton uh, I mean Skinner he is obviously I mean he's on the top of a mountain right now guy praising so up there I mean <laughs> shouting from the bloody rooftops isn't he I mean praising Wait, the squad is he on a rooftop or a mountain a <laughs> rooftop on a mountain there's a shed there's a whole thing and there's a pole so whatever yeah <laughs> Just want to give the uh, the listeners something visual to, to sort of latch it's like telling there. a story. It's beautiful. Yeah, I feel like a kind of like, you know, like a Winnie the Pooh type Linguistic story. artist. Thank you. All right. You heard it here first. Uh, Skinner was praising the squad as one of the most hardworking and together squads he has ever coached. And I think credit, I, I, think, there's, I think there's a lot of validity in that, to be honest. Uh, they've obviously had an, an incredible run this start of the season. What do we think we can expect from this game? This is a big matchup. This is a big test for Man United. And they've had some kind of middle level, middle level sort of table teams kind of competing at the moment. So I think what, it's going to be spicy. Fireworks. Do you know what? Put your flagpole in the sand. Who's winning Oof. it? Chelsea. 
Well, no, but that doesn't all oh, that barely counts, Rachel. No, this counts more because normally I'm very pessimistic about Chelsea. Are you? But I've not heard you say anything pessimistic about Chelsea in like the 15 <laughs> podcasts we've had you on now. So, so I said, I said pre-record to to Jesse that I thought this is a good time to to play Chelsea, but I didn't really finish the point. I think you know it's never really a good time to play Chelsea. Um, there but is if you're Man United. For Man United, though, they've been in such good form and I think the, the games they've had under their belt since the beginning of the season will massively booster, boost their confidence going into this game. Um, they'll know that Chelsea haven't been top of their game uh, so far this season. It's going to be such... Maybe we'll see our first draw. Maybe we'll see our oh. first draw of the season. Maybe it'll be like 3-3 or something ridiculous like that. 3-3? Um, but it's... Oh, it's it's actually a really tough one to call. I would normally think that Chelsea are going to edge it, but I'm going to go for a draw. What I will say for United is that where in the past they've struggled against Chelsea is because they haven't been able to play out from Chelsea's high press mm-hmm. and Chelsea have absolutely destroyed them with turnovers high up the pitch and just them being really open at the back. And I think what stood out to me about this Everton game was that United were, and I know it's a different level of press because it is Everton, not Chelsea, but they were able to move the ball up the pitch. There were some really nice attacking um, flows from front to back. And if United can avoid making those kind of errors, then, yeah, I think they can they can put Chelsea under pressure because from an attacking sense, they're looking really good. But I think against Chelsea in the past, it's always been about that defensive solidity. Also, playing like the way they can play for the full 90. You know, we saw it in the last game of the season where the match was so close, but, come, you know, the second half is where things happen and Man United don't quite keep their foot in the gas. So that's another big area. They they did it against Everton. They scored two goals in the second half against Everton. Everton so that's, again, another confidence booster. It's just so, it's so like, yeah, you just don't know how the game's going to play out. If Man United can come out like that and, and keep their foot in the gas for the 90, they could cause Chelsea problems. I think it's definitely going to be a high scoring game. I think there's, I think with the firepower that Chelsea have up front and and the goal scoring form that they've found, but also Man United, I mean, 10 different goal scorers, they're relying not only on a couple of players now, but I mean, we've had Toon, Golton, Leon, Paris, Garcia, uh, Garcia, sorry, Lucia Garcia, <laughs> Garcia. Uh, Blundell and I think Paris has been absolutely in, in flying form I think she I feel like she's really found her feet at United um, so yeah I think it's going to be I think it's going to be a, a 3-2 I think United well of yeah. course you're backing United <laughs> I think Chelsea just need to get their their shots to shots on target conversion rate higher because mm. they're creating them but there's not just for me and I've said this a couple of times on the podcast you know they had 21 shots at the weekend 7 on target that number needs to increase I think and that's where they'll start really kind of teams like Man United, they'll start turning them over. All right. Very, very different mixed opinions here. We've got Jesse on Chelsea, Rach, you think a draw. I think Man United free too. One so. of us is going to be right. <laughs> that's, that's good. <laughs> so we can't actually get it wrong. Um, yeah. That's actually a really clever. We should do that way more. 100%. We can say we're always if one right. of us wins, all of us win. Yeah. If we were smart enough to think about this before the year and a half that we've been doing this Yeah, podcast, because there's only ever three results in a football match. <laughs> Literally Damn that. Why do we never or think postponement. Of That's the only other option. So Weather yeah. wins. <laughs> All right. Uh, to finish off, I think we should just touch a little bit on Hannah Hampton. There's been a, a bit of a controversial mini storm around the fact that she's... Um, well, Susie Rack uh, has written a, a great article on uh, the fact that we think that she's now been sort of dropped. Um, and also now Carla Ward uh, saying that she's, well, she's been out of the squad, uh, but made a, was told maybe not to come to the game, but then turned up and was in the stands, but put out a very lovely supportive post. 
Um, it's sort of very difficult to know what's been going on. There's not a lot of information under the fact that it looks like a kind of behavioural and attitude problem. You know, when I was kind of reading the article, I was a little bit, I think, sceptical. I think Hannah's a very young player. You don't know what's happening behind the scenes. You don't know what kind of battles someone's going through. I think there seems to be some kind of personal events affecting her. I know that there has been some issues with her in the past. Uh, I do hope that she's okay. Um, but yeah, what what are you sort of, have you heard anything sort of further about this, you guys? Probably not anything more that can be added to the article. Um, I, I will say that I that I know that it, this article's taken a long time to come out. Um, this isn't something that's just been thrown together. Um, and there are multiple sources in it. Like there are reasons why um, Susie can't go publishing everything she knows and why she can't, you know, name sources or the fundamentals of journalism. Um, but I think the article does touch on the fact that these issues have been going on for a little while through the youth setup in England um, and now at club level too. Um, you know, it's just a reminder, it's not the article's fault that Hannah isn't playing. Mm-hmm. Um, it, that the, it's it's whatever kind of issues are going on. And I think what the article tried to do is to shed some light on what is happening because all we know from England and from Villa is that Hannah Hampton's not playing for issues and, and we're not being given any details. And I think it would be quite frustrating if nobody was talking about it at all because then you're kind of avoiding an elephant in a room. So I think Susie's done what she can and said what she can. Um, but I think there should be more information for me provided from the FA and from Villa. I think you, you can't just kind of drop a player and just say their issues and not say anything else. I think we should be given a little bit more light because this is her career at the end of the day. And obviously there are some behavioural issues going on and I do hope that it can get resolved because she's an incredible talent mm-hmm. and she is still very young. So from, that's what I would say. I would just say maybe less kind of anger at the article which is kind of trying to shed some light on something that we seem to know nothing about um, because it's so frustrating to just be given like a nugget of this player is not playing and, and no idea why. And it's quite it feels like quite a unique situation because I guess we've seen the growth of interest in women's football you know so exponentially over the past you know even a year 18 months that a year 18 months maybe we wouldn't there wouldn't be as much attention or talk around this because there simply weren't the resources to cover it and I think you know that comes with its own challenges right about how whether it's media whether it's fans how we talk about and protect players who might be going through hard times Mm -hmm. but also you know it's having an impact on something you know clearly she hasn't been called up for England clearly she was left out of the Villa squad so as Rachel said something's going on there and we need to know about it and talk about it but it's also a learning process, I guess, for the community as a whole about how all of those things tie together to also exist in a way. Because I think sometimes you look at men's football and the level of attention um, and hate, right, that can go there around players, whatever's going on in their lives. And and obviously we don't want to replicate that, but you can't ignore a story just because it doesn't necessarily make someone look good. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, because the alternative is we don't talk about it. Mm-hmm. And then the questions are, why aren't the media asking these questions? Why aren't the media asking where Hannah Hampton is? Why Hannah Hampton isn't playing? Um, so it's it's a di- you're a bit of a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation, because obviously Susie can't put everything. There's a reason that what's in the article is in the article and what's not in the article is not in the article. It's not because it's a story that's just been made out of up out of the blue. There's obviously something there. So it's a, it's a, as you say, it's a shit situation because 
we don't know enough for it to be telling us anything really. Um, but alternatively, we don't talk about it at all. And that's equally frustrating. So hopefully there's more clarity mm-hmm. from multiple sides as well. I think that yeah. would help. We've got some of the facts, not all of the facts, but I think overall we just hope that she's okay and yeah. that things resolve themselves and and hopefully she moves forward and we can see her sort of come back to, you know, club and, and maybe international level at some point in the future. So, Amen. yeah, from up front, wishing you all the best, Hannah. Hope you're okay. Um, and, yeah, let's end positively, guys. Um, right, what are we doing this weekend? Some big games coming up. Obviously, the Chelsea Man United we just touched on. What, what Where are you guys going to be? We've got another Saturday off. What? It's really weird. It was no football last Saturday uh, in the WSL. And uh, there's no football this Saturday in the WSL. Sounds very strange. Um, yeah, I'm going to be at Tottenham Everton this weekend. Let's see if Tottenham can do it again. <laughs> <laughs> Another 8 0 incoming. I'm going to Madrid. Oh, oh hello. Yeah. To watch Real Madrid women versus Barcelona women. Barcelona. In oh. Barcelona in Liga F. So nice. I'm, yeah, going for La Clasica. Is that, I don't know if that's El, what, El, well, it's normally know. El Clasico, do you change it if I don't it's the know. women's side? I, spe- I don't think, I know it's hard to tell, but I don't actually speak Spanish. <laughs> really? Wow. Yeah, that might come as a shock. Yeah, especially because of that perfect sentence you just How said How am Spanish I only on. finding out about this now? <laughs> Blown oh, your mind. That's crazy. Um, I'm going to be at home this weekend. Uh, we're still recovering from the Durham trip. <laughs> still recovering from the 14-hour round Durham coach trip. But at least we won. Thank God, back Yay! to winning ways. Come on, Palace. Uh, yeah, we're taking on uh, Sheffield this weekend on Sunday at Bromers, uh, which will be good fun. Um, it's been an exciting couple of um, couple of weeks for the championship. I feel like it's um, a lot of big results, a lot of um, very challenging, tough games. Yeah, you really can't call it this year. So maybe we'll touch on a few of the championship if games. Durham next. beat Manchester United in the week and Palace then beat Durham. Does that mean Palace are going to win the WSL? Yes. That is how it works, actually. Uh, I mean, that sounds just as confusing as the World Cup qualifying situation. <laughs> but yeah, I think somewhere in that there's some genuine Palace for the WSL. There yeah. you go. That's the hot take for, for this weekend. Um, Eagles are flying to the top. Okay. Oh, love that. Maybe you should do the socials. <laughs> no, don't do the socials. Nope. I'll be out of a job. You're doing a great job. You don't need me on it. Oh, thanks, mate. <laughs> Guys, um, if you're not already following, by the way, go follow. Yeah, follow me. Follow the club. Follow it all. Uh, thanks for listening to Upfront. If you've got any questions for us, hit us up on Twitter. I am at Morgie underscore 89. Rach is at Girls on the Ball. Or Jesse is at Jesse JPH. We will see you next week. Upfront is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com.